There you go. <laughs> Never before have I had such an introduction <laughs> to come and speak. So, not, o- <laughs> not only is this a, a list of the best-looking people in church, but it is also a list of uh, the Connect Groups, as, as Abby has just said. So if you're interested in joining a Connect Group, rejoining your old one, signing up for a new one, this is all the information you're going to need. It says when they're happening, it says where they're happening, and it says who's doing it. So please, 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 grab one of these if you haven't already got one, take a look, and um, please consider signing up to one of the groups. That would be brilliant. So I know some of us um, like to have a preach title. So um, this morning I've got two for you. So if you're feeling in the mood for another round of applause, okay, two preach titles is is quite good going in a morning. So we're going to be talking from Mark 14. Those that like a preach title that includes the Bible, that's the preach title that includes the Bible. The meal found in Mark 14. And for those slightly more creative, oh, it's not that, oh, no, now I've just dug myself a hole. It's not that you're not creative, but a slightly more creative um, uh, preach title is Food for Thought. And, um, and as we go through, that will kind of, yeah, hopefully you start to get a bit of an idea of, of uh, what I mean by that and that kind of stuff. I hope you're all enjoying your summer holidays. Put your hand up if you have had a summer holiday. Yeah. I realise for, for some people here, the school holidays and that have no bearing anymore and that kind of stuff. So you get to get a cheap holiday uh, at most other times of the year, which is brilliant. And um, as a family, me and Ros and, and the kids, well, it started off with me and Ros and then the kids a bit later. Um, our wedding anniversary always falls within the school holidays. And for us, our wedding anniversary is really important. It's a time when each year we sit down. We pray, we give thanks for the year that's gone before, mainly Ros for being married to such an amazing man, and, um, and she's so ever so grateful, her heart overflows with praise on that day, and, um, and we sit down wherever we are, and, and we, we do, genuinely, we give thanks, and we sit down and think, right, God, what have you got for us this coming year? We normally go away to celebrate it, and we're on holiday or something like that, because we're grateful for what God has done in our lives. And now we've got the kids, we want to try and include them and that kind of stuff. And I don't know about you guys, but most times, whenever it's an anniversary, whenever it's a birthday, it includes food. Is that, is that, a, is that just an Edworthy thing? Or is that, no, I think it's a general kind of thing that whenever you get together, there's something about food that's just good. And I don't know if you've noticed, in the Bible, the Bible is full of meals. The Bible is full of times where people gather and eat. They celebrate what God's done. They remember something good of what God has done. And they do it around food. And so this morning, that's what we're going to do. We're not going to eat. We're going to take a look at a meal in the Bible, which you will find in Mark chapter 14. And um, my hope is to bring some historical, but also cultural kind of insight into, well, what on earth was this meal about? I'm sure we've heard of, of some of it. But really, my heart is that as we walk through it, and I unpack just little bits along the way, that we really get an idea and a narrative of what's happening. For the Jews at the time, this was a yearly, everyday thing. They would have got it and knew what was going on to some degree. So what I want to do is unpack it. It would probably be helpful if I read quickly Mark 14, not all of it, 
don't worry. But mainly just the bit that, um, that I want to read from. So grab hold of your Bible, turn to Mark 14. We're going to, I think we'll start at verse 12. If you can keep up with me, keep up with me. If not, um, just listen. And, um, and I'm actually reading from the NIV. I apologize uh, for that. So it might be slightly different. On the first day of the festival, unleavened bread, when it, came, when it was customary to sacrifice a Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, telling him, go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owners of the house he enters. The teacher asks, where is my guest room? Where may I eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. So they're preparing for this meal. The disciples left, went into the city, found things just as Jesus had said, so they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. So they entered into a room. The room was all ready for this uh, feast. While they were reclining at a table, eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, the one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and and one by one they said to him, Surely you don't mean me. It is one of the twelve, he replied. One who dips bread into my bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It will be better for him if he had not been born. That's a, imagine, imagine hearing that when you're sitting around a, a meal table. While they were eating, Jesus took bread and when he gave thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. He said to them, Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they had sang a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. As Paul said a minute ago, we're going to be breaking bread at the end of this, and we're going to do this hopefully in a response to some of the stuff that I'm just going to open up for the next um, three hours. Uh, I'm only joking, for then it's 20, 25 minutes. Let me give you a bit of context into Mark 14, just to add a bit more around what's going on um, in that bit of the passage we've just read. The context of Mark 14, we have an overpopulated Jerusalem, a hugely, hugely overpopulated Jerusalem, full of Jews on pilgrimage for this Passover feast, with Jesus and his disciples among all of those people who are travelling in to get ready for this festival. There are those in the city that are already followers of Jesus. You've got his 12 disciples, but you've got those that have heard about him, those that have heard his message, and kind of think, yeah, this is someone that I want to follow as a rabbi. You've got those that are kind of um, for him. You've got those that have probably never really heard of him, but you also in the city have those that are actually out for him and want to kill him. So he's in the middle of this massive city, which is overpopulated, with followers and with those that want him dead. For Jesus, then, this Passover, this moment in time, which actually, this is the point of time that will go on to change history. This is the point in time which will go on to change history. For Jesus, it starts in a small room with 12 of his closest, around a meal table, around some bread and some wine and loads of other stuff. 
And this is really, really no ordinary meal that we've just read about at no kind of ordinary time in Jerusalem. And so what I want to do is explain why this is no ordinary meal at no ordinary time. Let's take a quick look at the Passover. The Passover in Jesus' time. Okay? The Passover in Jesus' time. Let me quickly go forward. This is what it kind of looked like. The Passover, you will find actually the, the original bit, what it's meaning, what it's all about, you will find that in Exodus chapter 12, but we're not going to go there, we're not going to read that, that's just for your information if you want to go away and read through it. It's a celebration to commemorate the exodus of Israel out of Egypt. When they were in slavery, something happened that released them from slavery. And every year, even during the time of Jesus, this is the meal that they are celebrating. When Israel came out of Egypt, it marked the start of their nation. And it marked and defined them as God's chosen people. So you've got all these people gathering in Jerusalem. Normally, the population was about 50,000. You are going up to in the several hundred thousand of Jews gathering in this city. And they're there to mark what happened. They're there to remember. They're there to celebrate they are God's chosen people who took them out of Egypt. The name originates from a time when God struck down the firstborn of Egypt, but his people who had brushed their door frames with the blood of an unbellished lamb. Unbellished lamb. His people that marked their doorposts with the blood of an unbellished lamb, God literally passed over their houses, but it brought judgment on the firstborn of all the Egyptians. That's where the name comes from. I'm not going to go too much deeper into it. It's a pretty harsh, full-on kind of story, but you'll find it in Exodus. It's a celebration of the time where God passed over the firstborn. He passed over his own people and brought judgment and set them free from the Egyptians. That's where the name comes from. And each year this pilgrimage happened, hundreds of thousands of Jews gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate and remember how God saved them. But as well as remembering the past, it was a time when, when they gathered, so Jesus would have been doing this, but defining it slightly differently, and actually Jews still do this now, when they gather, it's a time to look forward in hope to a new coming Messiah. They celebrate what's happened before, but when they gather, they look to what is going to happen about a new promised Messiah, who is going to be a massively, hugely anointed, powerful king, who will save them from whatever rule was going on at the time. And in Jesus' time, they would have been expecting for this Messiah to come and to save them from the rule of the Roman Empire. So, at Passover, the Lord saved his people from slavery in Egypt, but they believed that there would be a coming salvation as well when the new Messiah, the, the main guy, would come and would actually set them free, bring a huge amount of peace to the people of Israel and release them from, in Jesus' time, the Roman Empire. Are you with me so far? Is this a lot of information for you to take in in a hot room on a Sunday morning? No, good. <laughs> the feast itself, and this is, I know I'm loading you up with information, but it just gives a picture. The feast itself for Jesus started at sundown and it ended at midnight. 
We are talking a long, long period of time when they're eating, where they're chatting, and it included four very large glasses of wine. So it's a long period of time. What I want you to try and think about is they've traveled into Jerusalem, and everyone would have. They're kind of getting ready for the feast. There's loads of people about. There's excitement in the city, several hundred thousand people there. And then they kind of go in and they go their way to celebrate what's going on for Passover. You have a meal that starts at sundown, finishes at midnight with four huge glasses of wine. I think for most people at the end of that night, most people would be ready for bed. Anyone been to a party late at night and you're driving home at midnight and you're driving on the M25 and you find yourself drifting onto the rumble strips because you really are that tired. You just want to get home and sleep. I can imagine that for a lot of these people, that's what it was like. When you remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he asked his disciples, will you keep watch for me while I go and pray? No wonder they fell asleep. Seriously, no wonder they kept falling asleep. Because they'd had four glasses of wine. They'd been up since sundown through to midnight eating and all the preparation. No wonder they were falling asleep. It's probably the reason for that. So what I want to quickly do is look at the wine and I want us to try and hold it and remember it for when we come around and break bread a bit later. What about the wine? What's so important about the wine? Why do we, why do we use wine? What does it signify? What does it actually celebrate? If I'm pressing the right button, here's what it means is what the wine celebrates. In Exodus 6, 6 to 8, this is the time when God promises to his people that he will bring them out of Egypt. And in that, God makes four promises. The four promises are this. First one, I shall take you out. I will bring you out from under the rule of Egypt. Second one, I will rescue you. Third one, I will redeem you. And the fourth one, I shall bring you to myself. You'll find these promises in Exodus. And the tradition has it, even in Jesus' time, they'd have these four glasses. And each glass of wine would represent each one of these promises that you will find in Exodus. And so then we come to the Passover meal with Jesus. And we come to Mark 14 and we see the meal preparations happening and this meal taking place. And we find during the meal itself, Jesus relates so much of what is going on back to himself. He relates so much of what is going on back to himself. Let me give you an example. The four cups of wine which represented God saying to his people, I will take you out. I will rescue you. I will redeem you. I shall bring you to myself. Jesus said in Mark 14, 23, what does he say? This is the blood of the new covenant. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for many. So what happened and what's represented back in Exodus, year after year they celebrate Passover, 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 Passover with the thought that They're still waiting for this expected Messiah as well. Jesus breaks bread, has wine, comes to the cup. The four cups that say, 
I will take you out. He says, I will take you out. When they celebrate, I shall rescue you. Jesus is saying, this is my blood of the new covenant. I will rescue you. When it comes to, I shall redeem you. Jesus sits there saying, I will pay your price. I'm going to redeem you. And when he says, I shall bring you to myself, he is saying, I am the one that will bring you to God. There is no other way. No other way. Can you imagine sitting around in that little room? Jesus says, this is my blood of a new covenant. You understand what these four cups mean. But I'm saying, I have come to fulfill that. Why is it important? (laughs) Why is it important to us when we come together on a Sunday morning? It's the fact that the messianic expectation and the prophetic significance held in this feast was fully fulfilled by Jesus. Fully fulfilled. In Exodus, God saved his people from Egypt. In a tiny little room in a busy, busy Jerusalem, he says, I will save everyone from their sin. For those that will come into covenant with me. It changes history. That's why it's so important. Look at the parallels of Jesus and the Exodus story. There are other things as well. Using the blood of a firstborn lamb. Unblemished firstborn lamb. Sacrifice of firstborn. We see it in Jesus' life. Paints such an amazing picture. And he comes to fulfill. And so today we take the, bread, uh, we take the wine. To remember a new promise. A new blood of salvation from a new firstborn killed on a wooden cross. We recognise Jesus as being the awaited Messiah who sets us free so that God can bring us to himself. So what about the bread? What about the bread? Oh, there's my points, look. There you go, I've just said them. What about the bread? This is often missed, and um, actually two feasts merge into one. You will see this in, uh, read Mark 14, verse 1, and Mark 14, verse 12. It talks about two feasts. You've got Passover, but you've got something called unleavened bread. Okay? This is a feast that started at almost the same time as the Passover. It was a seven-day feast, and during these seven days, there was not one hint to be allowed of leavening. Let me explain why. Firstly, what is leavening? Leavening is yeast. Okay? Leavening is yeast. And here's the reason why. why what's so bad about yeast? I, I used to think that. Why, why has God got an issue with yeast? <laughs> what, like, why? And um, when you kind of realise what it represents, it's hugely important. Here's how they make, used to make bread back in the day. Okay? Back in Jesus' day, and actually, indefinitely in the history of Israel, here's how they used to make bread. They didn't have um, Google to quickly have a look at and uh, all the products that we have. They would take a raw batch of dough that has no yeast in it, that has nothing in it. That is unleavened, okay? The way that would make the bread rise is to leaven it. Here's how they would leaven it. 
This is where you need kind of like, do us a favour. Dan, do us a favour. Can you come and hold the mic? Here's how they would leaven it. They would take an old rotten piece of dough that had been left out in the sun and gone totally mouldy. That is now covered with bacteria. That's covered with dirt. That's covered with all sorts of things because it's been sitting out in the sun. Okay? This is how they would get this bread to rise. They would get that, put it into the new, fresh dough. Bit close, mate. Bit close. Cheers. <laughs> Felt a bit uncomfortable there. <laughs> um, and then they would work the old, mouldy batch of dough into the new, pure batch. And this would work its way fully through this. They would then leave it, that would rise, and then you've got your leavened batch of dough. Have you got that? Yes. That's not mould, that's pesto. They didn't use pesto. <laughs> okay, But it represents, if you see pictures of it, it's absolutely rotten what they used to put into the new batch of dough. Thanks, Dan. You did such a good job there, mate. Here's why they would use a feast of unleavened bread for seven days. You'll find this again in Exodus 12, 15 to 20. It's a feast. It's in there. It happened. Jesus was actually celebrating it at this time when he was breaking bread with his disciples. They did unleavened bread because leavening represented sin, pride, the puffed-upness of human nature. And so a feast of unleavened bread separated sin out and celebrated the purity, the goodness, the right of God, the unseen, all that's good. Does that make sense? Have you got that? Significance of this feast, an old blob of dough mixed with a new batch. The mould will cause a chemical reaction, causing bread to rise, symbolates puffed-upness. Unleavened bread just takes all that away. What's this got to do with the meal of Mark 14? Hopefully you're kind of picking up a bit of an image and the metaphors of what's going on. What did Jesus say? He took the bread. He broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. He took a piece of unleavened bread, which symbolized purity. It symbolized unsin. And he was the only one at that time that could have picked this bit up and broke it. And for your added information, okay, this is just a bit if you get really geeky, and I love this stuff. This bit of bread would have been bought at the end of the meal. At the start of the meal, they take a whole special loaf. They rip a bit off and someone goes to hide it. That represents the coming Messiah. But no one knows when he's coming and no one knows where he is. They eat the main bit of bread during the meal. At the very end, they bring this special bit of bread back that represents the coming Messiah. That's the bit that Jesus broke. Sinless. The Messiah. This is my body, broken for you. In the way that Jesus did for the wine where he said, this is the blood and a new covenant. 
it does exactly the same with the bread and says, this is my body broken for you. So all of a sudden, the importance of the bread comes alive even more. For us, when we break bread, we state that Jesus was the sinless saviour and he is the only saviour. He's the only one that can save. His purity pays and covers for our impurity. And then now when you think of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 5, 6-8, I've got to read this out. I love it. Absolutely love this stuff. 1 Corinthians. Have I got it up on screen? 1 Corinthians 5, 6-8. If I can get to it. You doing all right? You following me? Listen to this. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Your boasting, your puffed upness, your look at me, your pride, your sin, it's not good. Don't you know that even that little bit works its way through the whole of who you are? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be new unleavened batch. Listen to this bit. As you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival not with old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Doesn't that come alive just that bit more all of a sudden? The new batch, the pure. And I love it when Paul says... Guys, that's who you really are in Christ. That's your starting point now. Don't go back to adding that old pesto-filled, slightly smelly bit of dough. That has no place here anymore. Don't bring it back. Don't need it to work its way back. If you're in Christ, this is now who you are. You're a new batch. And so when Paul talks about this needing the old stuff, like, all, like it's what he's talking about. He's talking about this feast. He's talking about that kind of stuff. And in 1 Corinthians 11, where he talks about warnings about breaking bread and being right with each other. So important. If we break bread and we're out of relationship with people, it's like we're bringing that old rubbish dough into who we are. Don't. That's why it's so important. And he says, when you break bread, make sure your relationships are good. Be pure. Don't, don't work old, work the old stuff in. Make sure it's pure and right and good. There's bits of paper all over the floor here. I've got to use them tonight at six o'clock. My preach order could be slightly different tonight as what it is <laughs> this morning. Okay, so the meal's in Mark 14. In a minute, what we're going to be doing, we're going to be breaking bread. And I would really love us to hold these two things in our mind. Why do we break bread? This is his sinless body, represent that he is sinless and he is the saviour. And the blood. Just like anniversaries for us and our family, they remind us of the good that God has done. They remind us of actually how fortunate we are. We like to take time to give thanks and to remember and we chat through, and um, I think this is what Passover's about. I think this is what breaking bread's about. We're not doing Passover like today. When we break bread, it remembers the good of what God has done in our lives. That's why it's good to do it, okay? That's why it's good to do it. But why remember? I think it empowers us. 
I think it reminds us that Jesus loves us. And he does. You have a God that loves you. Remember that when it comes to breaking that bread. Passionate for you. It reminds us that we are forgiven and it reminds us that we are right with God. It celebrates the ultimate goodness of God in the world. And as we do this, it lifts up the fact that there is a truth on the planet that we live in. And that is Jesus. It reaffirms our personal faith and our devotion to Jesus. And it's a declaration and sign of unity in the church. It symbolizes that we gather around our saviour. And that is the central most important thing of who we are. It's our identity. Shouldn't give that up for anything. It defines us. It's a declaration and a sign of unity in the church. So this was no ordinary meal found in Mark 14. It was a statement of change that affects the world. So today we take the wine and we remember how God has made a covenant with you and me. Okay? I think I've got that up there. This is his covenant with you. This is his covenant with you. He says, I will take you out from sin. He says, it's me that will rescue you. He says, I will pay the price for that to happen. I will redeem you. And he says, it's me that will bring you to myself. It is me that will bring you to God. That's the wine and then the bread. The purity that forgives and makes you that new batch. You are that new batch. And obviously, there's the resurrection. There is another meal around that. We didn't do that. Don't forget that the resurrection, Jesus is the first fruits of all those that rise. And so we are guaranteed, because off the back of this, eternal life. It's good news. It's good news. I'd love to pray, if that's okay. And um, I'm going to hand over to Paul in a bit, but I don't know if the stewards want to start getting ready for the bread and the wine. Band, you might want to come up. If I hand over to Paul to do the thing, I'd, I'd love, to, love to pray, if that's okay. Should we stand? Let's stand. Sh- shake your legs out. We're going to respond. We're going to break bread in a minute. We're going to drink cranberry juice or something. But we know what it means. doesn't matter what it is. We know the meaning of it. Okay? We know the meaning of it. As the stewards prepare bread and wine, I want to pray for us and lead us into a time. Passover was always a celebration. Always a celebration wasn't overly somber I don't think it was a celebration of the good that God had done and what he was going to do that is now fulfilled in Christ as Christians that's what we believe let me pray so Jesus today in a moment as we take that wine we do it as you commanded us to we do it to remember you We want you to know that as we take this, we want to reaffirm our trust and our faith in you. 
We want to remember how you've redeemed us, you've rescued us, you've taken us out, and you have brought us to yourself. You are the only way to be right with God. And we do this to remember that, and we do this to remember you. The blood of a new covenant that you have made with us. And as we take this wine, we reaffirm that we accept that covenant. And we thank you for your blood poured out on a cross for many. And we are part of that many. And there are many more to come to be part of that. And we eat the bread. We remember how your sinless body was broken to replace our sin-filled body. We ask that as a church, you would give us strength to keep unity. That's highly important. And that in our relationships with each other, we would sort out differences properly. We don't want any old dough which, dough, dough which causes trouble. We want things to be good, things to be right, things to be pure. Give us the strength we need to get rid of the old man and stick with the new batch of who we really are. And so as we come to break bread, drink wine, we celebrate all that you have done. And we remember and we say thank you. And we say we will continue to follow you, Jesus. Amen.